Welcome to the Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast, mythology mashups and odd apologues for young audiences. I am your host, Amanda Louise, moving you through the realms of malicious monsters, meritorious heroes, through the practice of real and imagined magic, shining a light into the darkness and conjuring something meaningful out of chaos. Welcome back to The Viking and the Princess. We're at chapter 9. The princess had stolen the Viking's boat and left him on the island. Honestly, she did not feel too bad about the decision. That is, until she discovered the holes that the chameleon and his zombified army of automatons had drilled into her chest. Unfortunately, the princess's chest was full of nothing, and that created a negative pressure gradient, which threatened to shrink and suck anything around it inside of it. So far, it had inhaled an anchor, a rope, and Ipaluvik, the ocean giant. This was only part of Moiety's struggles. The mermaids had also returned. Moiety accidentally summoned a tsunami by lighting Odin's scroll of poetry on fire, which washed the mermaids away, but it also flooded the entire island. The scroll, which she had carelessly lit, turned out to be a light that revealed the true nature and character of the objects which were illuminated by it. And our quote today is by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. It is not the end of the physical body that should worry us. Rather, our concern must be to live while we're alive, to release our inner selves from the spiritual death that comes with living behind a facade designed to conform to external definitions of who and what we are. Moiety was left standing on the water above the island. She was peering down through the clear water, full of salt and light, a skin diver's delight. There were none of the expected clouds of murky silt. Everything was as if it had settled that way an eon ago, as quiet and observant as dinosaur fossils pressed down beneath the burden of light, like dry autumn maple leaves resting in hymnal pages. Moiety had the sensation of spinning like a pot on a potter's wheel. She had been here before, but she had been a different shape. Somehow she felt that she would be back again, but not in her present form. Everything changes as it stays the same. The scroll was keeping Moiety on top of the water, but the weight of Ipaluvik, the boat anchor, and its rigging was starting to pull her slowly beneath the water. The heavy, negative pressure was still inside her chest quiet for now. Moiety was buoyant, yet irresistibly sinking. Moiety tried to stay afloat. She tucked the scroll into her waistband and pumped her arms and legs, but the inexorable heaviness in her chest was drawing her below. The danger pressed in all around, and yet Moiety could not help but notice how exorbitantly beautiful it all was. She was hovering above the island treetops, and schools of flashing fish were darting through the trees like silver shooting stars. Riverbeds like rocky highways into the hills lay exposed. Giant reaching octopus and eels freed from the boundaries of the estuary were ascending the heights along these riverbed paths, exposing their treasures. 
They coiled and expanded, rolled over the rocks, reaching higher with childlike intelligence. Shy seahorses, fastidious shrimp, and all manner of colorful reef fish were darting through the jungle foliage that lay closest to the surface. The island was fecund, teeming with vibrant beauty. But it was the filtered sunlight that brought it to life. Curtains of light rays shimmered freely in and around the rocks and trees. Nothing was hidden from its joy. Everything became alive in the illumination, eerie and innocent, boldly camouflaged. Moiety felt helpless to be drowning amid such a strong life force. She took one last breath and slipped below the waves. Something immense erupted up from the illuminated bottom. It churned the depths like a boiling cauldron. It torpedoed through the water next to Moiety's sinking form, leaving a glistening wake of white bubbles behind it. Moiety tumbled in the water, losing her breath. The creature was coming back. Moiety could see its eyes were as red as a sunrise. It snorted a flash of light, descended, and then scooped her up on its armored back. It rose back to the surface. The monster did not have scales. It had shields, and each one was so tightly placed to the next one that water and air could not pass between them. Moiety was perched in between two ornate rows of shields stretching down the length of its back. Lately, Moiety had been exposed to so many various sources of terror that terror was beginning to lose its terror. An ember of resiliency was flaring up with resolved energy. Still, she tried her best to ignore the beast. Maybe it did not actually see her. It does not do to leave a dragon out of your calculations, Moiety, for everyone lives near a dragon. The dragon's voice flooded up past her barriers directly into her conscious. Everyone seemed to know her name. The dragon was circling the watery island. It seemed to have forgotten her at the moment. Moiety gripped its back. Of course, it was the most dangerous thing in the ocean, but it was also the only solid and real thing she could hold on to. Moiety found that she could breathe under the water while holding its back. Moiety needed to be able to breathe under the water. Up and down, spiraling through the lighted jungle trees, winding around the mountains and scaling rock faces in a single breath, Moiety and the dragon torpedoed through the water. The dragon, when it seemed satisfied with its patrol of the surface, began to descend to the roots of the island, down into darkness. Why does your brain go to so much effort to analyze its own conscious, when humans are the only animals who even appear to care that they are conscious? The dragon posited the question directly to Moiety's mind. Moiety watched a silver school of expressionless tuna gliding in perfect unison away from the dragon. They momentarily sideswiped as one to avoid some unseen stimuli and then immediately veered back onto their original course. I guess because it helps us reproduce more effectively, Moiti suggested, recalling the attitudes of her tutors a lifetime away. But tell me, what is the evolutionary advantage of having a soul? The dragon's thoughts popped into her mind like bubbles reaching the water's surface. Moiety admitted to herself that she did not know, but it seemed that since so many people seemed sure of themselves that it must somehow be true. She realized that she would have to capitulate on long-held beliefs if she followed the dragon's thought process to its logical conclusion. She decided to change the subject. 
Is consciousness a prerequisite for having a soul? She asked. No, the dragon answered. Consciousness is a prerequisite for ultimate judgment. It is a byproduct of having a soul. But why is that important? What good is a soul? You would do better to ask, why is it important to have a body? What good is a body? You do not need one to exist. The body is the backdrop setting in which the soul hosts its dramas. The soul is important because it is the battleground between good and evil. Everything is important, but more importantly, everything has meaning. The meaning of existence is imperative. We cannot understand the meaning of existence without understanding the importance of our souls. The dragon breathed out a flash of light, and the depth darkness was illuminated with a bolt of red. When you ask, what good is a soul? I would answer that it is not, in fact, good. It can, however, change as it properly rejoices and properly suffers. How can you see to swim? Moiety dug her hands in tight to the dragon's horns. I do not see with light, I see with vision. I do not understand. The darkness increased with the pressure. Vision is not the same as sight. It is the light of understanding by which true things are seen. Every step toward eternity is not the same as the one before. Seeing by sight alone leads you to interpret the present as absolute and anticipate the future based on past experiences. Seeing by vision allows the seer to see things true nature. When you say true nature, do you mean the things that I saw when illuminated with the poetry scroll? Yes. The world of objects is only what we see. Reality is much more complicated. The coldness was increasing. If Moiety had not been in the dragon's care, she would have easily been crushed. The last, visible light had glimmered out long ago, and the pressure was at this point a thousand times greater than it was at sea level. Moiety caught glimmers of rainbow light internally generated by the ghostly deep dwellers that flickered in and out of view. The dragon continued, When people make comfort their ultimate goal, not only do they miss out on their call to adventure, but they come to view suffering as a problem and not as a providence that deepens our vision of the universe, our souls, and the relationship between the two. If you seek depth of character and strength of soul, then seek suffering. So the more you suffer, the more you can see, Moiety asked. The more you suffer properly, the more you can see. The East views dragons as lucky. The West sees them as a cause for dismay. Suffering is like a dragon because dragons represent chaos. It is what you make of it. Chaos can be molded into a meaningful form or it can mold you into its own form. You get to choose how you suffer. You do not get to choose whether or when you suffer. Proper suffering burns off the dead wood and leaves the green wood room to grow. The green wood is what you are designed to be. But what kind of dragon are you? If your tutors had been doing their job, you would know that I am the Leviathan. I am a real, fire-breathing dragon, and I represent the uncontrollable, wild nature of God. Nothing on earth is my equal. I am a creature without fear. I look down on all that are haughty. I am king over all that are proud. 
Just as man must approach God in order to be whole, so dragons represent everything man is afraid of and everything that man needs in order to fix himself. The thing that you need the most is where you most do not want to go. He continued, I am not not dangerous, but your salvation lies in finding that you are up to the challenge. The dragon was swimming along the bottom now. With every exhale, the leviathan released a flash of red light, and Moiety could see that they were accelerating through a vast trench and stirring up a path of silt from the murky bottom everywhere they went. They were making their way around a ledge of smallish volcanoes that breathed out sooty gases and scalding heat as they passed. Strange red and white fungi-looking vegetation blossomed around the vents. The souls of lost sailors, explained the Leviathan. They are known as tube worms. Led by lust and now lost to light, they feed on the noxious fumes released from the abyss. Moiety saw the ghastly mermaids and their clutchy fingers camouflaged in the rocks and craggy places of the trench. They peered out with eerie bioluminescent eyes and hissed curses from the safety of their hiding places before retreating into the deep shadow. They are accusers, the Leviathan explained. They do not create lust. They amplify existing false desire and using it as a hook to peel back the surface flesh and expose the guilt underneath. Guilt is the weight that attaches these sailors to the seafloor. Grieve for them, mourned the dragon. Grieve for all flesh is as grass, bending in whichever way the zephyrs tell them to bow. Moiety considered the weight of the anchor and the ocean giant troll inside of her. She would have been able to walk on the water in the light of the poetry scroll, but for the weight inside of her, pulling her inexorably toward the seafloor into the hands of the mermaids. Moiety also considered, with some abhorrence, that her life situation must be the direct result of the sum total of all of her personal decisions, and not the result of a preordained cosmic dice roll, as she had previously presumed. Leviathan, hearing her thoughts, added, It is more difficult to rule yourself than it is to rule the dragon, but you must. If you do not rule yourself, yourself will rule you. We are approaching the root system of the world tree. The dragon turned a corner at the base of the wall, which Moiety had to assume must be the place where the island touched down on the seafloor. In the light of the scroll, Moiety could see that the seafloor was moving like a conveyor belt, slowly seeping under the mountain wall, down into the abyss below. Thank you for listening to this Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. This is an original story by Amanda Louise Van Stratum. All rights reserved. For more original stories and poetry, including links to purchase text copies of my books, please visit me at sunshinesatellite.com. If you've enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving me a review and rating in the comments section. I hope to hear from you soon.